Hello, flutists. I want to thank Flute World for being the sponsor of this Porter Flute Pod, Ask Amy, Etudes Edition. Established in 1983, Flute World is the original flute specialty shop. In addition to offering the highest quality instruments and flute accessories, Flute World stocks over 16,000 unique sheet music titles, and they provide superior repair service. Flute World is an all-inclusive resource for flutists of all ages and levels. You can visit one of Flute World's three locations in the U.S., Detroit, San Francisco, and Charlotte, or you can shop online at fluteworld.com. They have graciously given us a coupon code, so if you're listening, write down the coupon code PORTERFLUTE to receive an additional 20% off sheet music and Valentino and Altieri brand accessories from now through the end of May. That is so generous. Thank you, Flute World. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, I'm Amy Porter. Some of you know me as a flutist and a classical musician, others as a professor, and some of you know me as a publisher and arranger. I'm a stepmom, I'm a business owner, and I'm the founder of a couple of nonprofits. And this is my podcast. My core mission as an entrepreneur is to appreciate what I have around me. And then I try and see as clearly as possible how I can help. So let's talk, let's share information, let's laugh and sometimes cry over the things that we have to work through in life and in music, in business and family and relationships. Come on into my Porter Flute pod. Welcome to Porter Flute Pod. It's season two, episode 17, and it's time to ask Amy in the Etude edition. In this podcast, I'll address those questions from flute students about the most advanced etudes and featuring my recording of the Caprices by Siegfried Cargaylert. I won't be discussing the intermediate level etudes as I did in episode 10. With me in the pod, co-producing and steering us in the right direction are Justine Sedke and Alan J. Tomasetti. Thanks for being in Porterflute Pod. We're so happy you're here. Let's get started with the first question. What's the difference between etude as a practice piece and etude as a show piece? Okay, an etude is a study all day long. Now, in the music business, we have something called a show piece. And that can definitely show up as an etude, of course. If it has promise as a show piece on the concert stage, maybe it can be an encore or a main piece. And usually these pieces are called capricci or caprices. 
they're definitely meant to show off the musical prowess of the performer, but can lead to vicissitudes in performances, constantly wavering over time. We can inevitably fail if we don't do etudes. We can slip, we can get frustrated, and we'll never want to play a showpiece again. There are etudes that are just practice etudes. So they'll facilitate a certain trill fingering over and over and over again. Or they'll repeat complicated articulations until we're blue in the face. These etudes most definitely have been penned by Marcel Moise and Anderson. There are etudes that are helpful for legato, staccato, style, every form of articulation, a technical twister. And these twisters are definitely penned by Anderson and Moise. See, the, Anderson was the Paganini virtuoso of his time. Now, the pieces we call caprices or fantasias or etudes that are performance-worthy, they consist of bravura and compelling techniques and melodies, and they capture the listener's attention. Flute players gravitate to Anderson, opus 15, number 3, as an encore, or Paganini's 24th Caprice for violin as an encore, It's good to keep these pieces in your wheelhouse. Now, I wouldn't recommend them for serious weekly etude playing unless you're willing to invest the time in learning the entire method. So you'd get to know all of them, not just one famous one or not just one finger twister. The concert stage is for your audience. You are in service to others when you're programming a concert. Yes. So make sure you're bringing your best program, not a program with too many complicated etudes, but a program where you'll be benefiting your audience and it's not beyond their knowledge. Question number two. I have a student that is finding etudes to be boring, but is too young to learn some of the showpiece etudes. So how do I help them spark an interest in learning to like their etudes? Well, often dreaming of the outcome is way easier than doing the work it takes. We don't want to produce the outcome. We want to dream about it. People always have excuses for not wanting to take off the training wheels. 
So one way to assist in your curriculum for the young ones with etudes is the inclusion of etudes right after the scales and before the main repertoire. It's important to learn etudes along with the scales and the themes from the most famous orchestral pieces. They all go together. William Kincaid's Art and Practice of Modern Flute Technique does exactly that. You learn the key signature along with the scales and the patterns and the etudes and the excerpts and sometimes whole pieces. I loved learning in all four books when I was young. William Kincaid's Art and Practice of Modern Flute Technique. And back in my Delaware youth, Flute Olympics was a favorite sport of my first flute teacher, Ginny Atherton. So it was how fast could you play all the major and minor scales in the circle of fifths, two octaves, and then two chromatic scales of your choice, and then two whole tone scales starting on C and C sharp. I loved that. My students will agree that I can spend 40 minutes on part of an etude because it will directly relate to the piece the student is playing. You know, why not work out the kinks before we can take on more than we can chew? Question three. Where did your love of etudes come from and what inspired you to create your study guides? Well, let's start at the beginning. My disdain of etudes came in high school after the Kincaid methods stopped being so kind. Kincaid had put out some Anderson etudes, you know, in his book, put them within the curriculum, but I had no idea what was to come in the future of etude books for me. For instance, when I got to the etude books, uh, Anderson Opus 33, the eyes of disappointment over the glasses on my teacher's nose, Deborah Carter Smith, <laughs> the look on her face was all it took for me to hate key signatures and counting slowly. And then by the time I got to Juilliard, I might've mentioned Sam Barron immediately diagnosed me with etude-itis. What? I had gotten into Juilliard by playing number 13 of Altez and number 5 Biche. What? Nope. I was put on Anderson Opus 15 and I had to accept my fate of key signatures again. My love of etudes came the second I graduated Juilliard. It came from realizing in my teaching how much of a difference they actually made in playing they serve as accountability pieces. I knew I had to teach a lot of flute concepts and techniques and showcase the pedagogy that had been handed down to me. The Boom System Flute Etudes were worth studying because nothing had changed in the way we play. Nothing has changed in the way we play Western classical music. Notes still have to fall evenly in the technical passages. Intervals still have to be in tune. Our lips still have to sculpt the air. And our minds still have to get around the fact that we play an instrument of physics. Etudes are amazing for all this. Now, where did I come up with the study guide and why did I start with Cargaylert? Because I taught them to myself. Samuel Barron, had never introduced them to me. 
I was at a point in life where I had to be away from the house I had just bought and I wanted to restore the house, but I was spending time away from home, uh, living a different life and supporting someone else every summer for years. So being away from home at an opera company, I was wandering around the opera company asking some opera coaches to help me with the German. And not just the meaning of the German, but the meaning of the German. And I was hanging out with opera singers, so everything is based in story. I decided to make up stories along with the caprices. You know, it was just one summer where I was just chilling out. I decided to start writing down my advice for each caprice. And then I decided that after about four years at Michigan, my idea could come to fruition. See, if I had to teach X amount of students Y amount of times, then the math was a bit overwhelming. (laughs) There's 30 caprices, right? Couldn't I just roll camera and say what I wanted to say and give it to the students as a study guide? Why not? So I applied for a grant and and I got it. And guess what the two words I heard the most from my friends and family were at the time? You're crazy. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Yeah, I'm the crazy one. I see the future of my life and where I wanted, where I really want it to go. And that was in front of a camera feeling happy to extol the wisdom of these amazing musical authors and bring it to the curriculum in an easy and accessible way. So I'm going to play for you now the hardest caprice for me to record in one take. This is from my CD, Pasacalia. It's caprice number 22. It took 19 times. Yeah. (laughs) Anyone else want to give me a high five on that? Caprice number 22. And all it is, are intervals written in a very methodical way, but it has to be smooth and soft. And as it goes along to the ending, he writes these intervals by eight notes at a time. Sevenths, going to sixth, perfect fifths, perfect fourths, major thirds, seconds, and then a cascading minor seventh arpeggio. My fingers would slip or my brain would twist. Just ask Dave Shaw, my engineer. I couldn't get it. And I had to in one take. So listen here to how careful I'm being. It's take 19 out of 19. The one that had the most takes of any on the study guide. Listen here if you can tell. I have trepidation, but I'm pushing through.
question four. How do you select and determine which etudes are appropriate for the student? Do you have a set order of books or do you customize the selection? And how do you accommodate those custom needs? Well, I begin with the books that I played in high school and I ask the student if they've ever played them. Berbigay, Anderson, Altez. Also, if the key signatures are not your best friend, I'll hear it. Everyone will hear it. You see, the scales are the germ of all music. So this is a fact that has to be embraced for life. If a student hasn't played what I played as a youth in Philadelphia, then everyone, no matter what level, has to play them. You can't really go through flute life not having played etudes because they're written by flute players and they'll make all the difference in your consistency and your endurance, the two most important things to have when performing. Here's the game I play with older students. It's a, it's a fun game. You can't graduate here without having played, right? Or I can't go another summer without learning X, Y, or Z, etude book. And usually it's the student's own realization, complete with wide eyes. They have this look on their face. How have I managed to survive without this mainstay, right? These etude books have survived the test of time. You can't deny it. And ask some of your favorite classical flutists or jazz flutists, rock flutists, Indian flutists. Hey, did you study all the scales and classical etude riffs and ragas growing up? (laughs) The answer will always be yes if they're your favorite. Question five. This is an interesting question. What are your thoughts on performing etude showpieces in a recital? I'm starting to plan my junior recital, and I want to perform several well-known sonatas, but my teacher asked me to include an etude showpiece, and I'm feeling a little bummed having to include an etude in my recital. I feel like I'm being demoted or something for having an etude in my recital. I thought recitals are all about showing off the flashiest sonatas and concertos that I know and performing the most well-known works to say that I've made it to a certain level. (laughs) Wow, what a question. I think this one needs a special ego check at the door. Okay, you see, your teacher is your guide. And your teacher has been there and can actually say, hey, I think this would be a good work to play because it'll add to your palette of repertoire. I've had to turn to some of the shorter showpiece etudes when I needed something to complement the program. And wow, recitals are about the audience. When was the last time you thought about others in your programming? Try listening to your teacher and to your audience and realize they are there with you in the room. It's not your living room practice fantasy here. It's a real degree-driven performance based upon the canon of classical music that includes pieces called studies and etudes and caprices. How would you feel having to listen to someone simply play everything they thought they could play, but it was too difficult? Or they said, Professor, I don't think those pieces are worthy. 
and then I think you'd get a bit of a reality check when your grade came in. See, insubordination isn't a pleasant trait to have when the world of music is out there for your consumption. Your teacher knows well. Your teacher knows well more than you could ever know as someone 15 to 50 years younger. I'm just saying. Question six, how important is it to complete an etude method in order? Can I just pick and choose which etudes I like and ignore the ones that don't interest me? Okay, (laughs) can I talk like a Marie Forleo right now and say, you think you're so darn clever. (laughs) Again, leading with the ego as a learning tool is never a good idea. Guys, just go practice. You don't know what's best for you yet if your ear hasn't been in that etude book. Go in order because you'll learn things along the way that the method is trying to teach you. The difficulty lies in your weaknesses, not your strengths. So don't get caught up in your own delight in what you can do. And understand the practicing comes in the few minutes you do the activities that serve your greatest weakness. Now, another question is, are there any etudes that you've either overplayed or haven't touched in a long time purposefully, or you don't like playing? Well, personally, I don't like Anderson Opus 15 for that very memory I spoke of earlier, and they were difficult for me. And so when students play them, I can tell how hard it is. And at the same time, I can tell how much more advanced they become from doing Anderson Opus 15. I I think I go into a sort of empathetic state of, oh, honey, I know it'll all work out. And if you're a crazy person and want to delve into the Opus 60 and 66 of Anderson, then take them one month at a time. There's even a Facebook Anderson Etude Opus 60 group that serves as an accountability uh, of one of those etudes per month. It was started by Lisa Westervelt, so check it out. Overplayed etudes? Well, overplayed may not be the right word, since I love all etudes, but well-worn is for sure. So the Altez second flute teacher part, I think I've played hundreds of times. I think I could accompany you as a second flute part in your lesson without the music. And I've played them with students so many times over 22 years that... Um, Dr. Brown, Dr. David Brown, my partner at Anatomy of Sound, will sometimes say during an Altez etude, try it memorized, and he'll laugh because sometimes I make it, sometimes I make it up. (laughs) But I'm pretty much playing what Altez wrote as the duet part. Now, don't forget, um, play Altez 11 and 22 with a friend. 
You have both parts written in the Shermer edition, but didn't you always wonder in the Altez Etudes, why are there so many duets in here? And why am I sounding like an accompaniment at times? Because it's meant to be played with your professor. I always say to the student, you get the hard work and I get to pretend like I'm sitting on a beach and play the easy part. Um, the ones I ignore are Mike Mower's finger busters because they make me agitated, um, scared, and feel inadequate. <laughs> Jazz to me is so holy. I don't even like entering the world uh, of jazz when it becomes work to me. See, that's the classical era for me. I'll do the Will Offerman's etudes or the Robert Dick etudes for the extended technique, but the jazz ones really get me nervous. Hey, I have parameters. Now for the final question. In your opinion, what are the most underrated, underrecognized etudes in the flute canon? And why do they deserve more attention? Well, I think that bringing etudes from other instruments is very important. That's why I transcribed Cyril Rose's clarinet etudes for the flute. You see, Rose was a colleague of Altez at the Paris Conservatoire. That's also why I did the Bach cello suites. I wanted to bring the cello suite melodies up into treble clef so that the flutes could bring them more attention. Now, the ones that are newly written are also underrated, underrecognized. We have beatboxing, um, Greg Patillo three beats. We have jazz etudes, Sharp Eye, uh, Jose Valentino, Mike Mower. Now wait, didn't I just say I wouldn't play the jazz ones? Okay, maybe I won't play them, but I'll teach them. I'm the teacher, so I, I guess I'm, I'm allowed at my age to pass, but please know there are more etudes being written. They're in the pipeline and they want your attention. So I'll always bring them into the studio for you to try. And if I can't do them, you can definitely do them. Do you have a question that I can answer on Porter Flute Pod? Don't hesitate to contact me. My contact page is on my website, amyporter.com. I want to thank Flute World for sponsoring this episode of Ask Amy Etudes Edition. You can find Flute World at fluteworld.com. Join us next time on Porter Flute Pod. It's our Business 101 category. We're going to have that business mindset along with the mindset of being a musician, and being a good person. So we have guest Mark Toplitsky. We also have news from Flutistry. So we'll see you next time in Porter Flute Pod. Thanks for being here. I'm so grateful for you. <laughs>